Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals and the people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting pro-animal laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. I'm joined this week, as always, by Wayne Paselli and Marty Irby. Wayne is the founder of Animal Wellness Action. Marty is its executive director and chief lobbyist in D.C. So uh, we missed you on our last uh, recording, Marty, so I'm glad you're back with us today. I know you guys, both you and Wayne, are, have been super busy. Lots going on. Why don't you start us off this week uh, with kind of an update on what's happening on Congress or in Congress? Yes. No, thank you, Joe. And uh, great to be here with all of you guys today. You know, uh, most recently, two of my passions are uh, ending the doping in American horse racing and preventing the soaring of Tennessee walking horses that's occurred for more than half a century. So we've been working on two pieces of legislation that we've had podcasts in the past about the Horse Racing Integrity Act and the Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act. Um, what's going on now in Congress is that we have come to a compromise on the Horse Racing Integrity Act that's now been renamed the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act. Um, the legislation in the House that now has 260 co-sponsors passed through the committee and was authored to reflect the uh, points of the deal that we've come up with with many people in the industry and horsemen and animal groups around the country. Um, it is scheduled now for a vote on the House floor on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. Uh, I think by the time probably this podcast is out, we will have seen it pass the U.S. House of Representatives overwhelmingly. And in the U.S. Senate, which is sometimes what I refer to as the place where all good bills go to die, um, we actually have the U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell from Kentucky now as the lead sponsor of the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act. And what it would do is accomplish 90% uh, of what the original bill did. It would permanently end the doping of American horse races uh, on race day, allow for out of competition testing and create a uniform national standard under the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, USADA, that oversees the Olympics. Um, it's limited to thoroughbreds and thoroughbred racing, but it does have an opt-in provision for quarter horses, uh, trotting horses, standard breads, and others who are out there racing. Uh, that was something that had to be included for this to be able to pass. And we did get Churchill Downs and the Kentucky Derby on board finally. And you know I've been hammering them pretty hard there in your hometown of Louisville. Um, so we're thrilled to get to that point. What we got that we didn't have before is a provision that requires all of the racetracks and all of the racing commissions across the United States of America to report the deaths and injuries to horses to the Federal Trade Commission so that all of that data can be kept in a national database that will be able to be viewed by the public. And I think that's a tremendous provision that we've gotten. Senator, Senator Diane Feinstein from California really helped us push for that. And we're thrilled to see the legislation coming together and believe we can get this one done and signed into law in the 116th Congress before the year ends. 
which is pretty amazing given everything going on in D.C. right now. So major kudos to you, Wayne, and all of your, excuse me, Marty, and all of your supporters. Uh, really sounds like tremendous work. I call it a unicorn. Thank you, Joe. All right. Very good. Our guest today is with us to talk about horses because he seems to know a thing or two about them. And I'm happy to introduce uh, with us today Marvin Earl, a.k.a. Monty Roberts. Uh, Monty is a U.S. horse trainer who promotes his techniques of natural horsemanship through his Join Up International Organization, which is named after the core concept of his training method. Roberts believes that horses use a nonverbal language, which he terms equus, and that humans can use this language to communicate with horses. So kind of kind of a Dr. Doolittle figure. We'll learn more about that. In order to promulgate his methods, Monty has authored a number of books, including his original bestseller, The Man Who Listens to Horses. It's sold more than six million copies. He regularly tours with a live demonstration. He runs an equestrian academy in California and also runs an online university to promote his ideas. And uh, he's also worked with a lot of experienced horse people, including um, one I think most of us uh, have heard of, and that is Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. So I am now officially two degrees of separation from Queen Elizabeth. So, Monty, really thrilled you're here. Well, thank you for having me on. You have no idea what a gift this is to me because my history would show you that I've been at this a long time. I wasn't in the horse business until I was three. And at four, I competed on a horse for the first time and fortunately won. Um, So off I went and I didn't go to grammar school. I was on a train and and in trucks. crossing this country in Canada and down into Mexico, too, in competitions. So horses is about all I know. I went to four universities and have two doctorates in behavioral sciences, but I did those to learn more about the behavior of flight animals than people, actually. So, um, yeah, I, I couldn't be happier with what's happening in the movement away from violence in the training of horses and the competition of horses. Yeah, and even in the way they're treated in in the wild. I know Wayne and Marty have done a lot of work regarding wild horses. It really seems to be a a hot topic among the animal rights movement, the treatment of horses. It, it does it feel to you like horses are finally getting their day, Monty? Well, I yeah, I still have a lot to do and we all do. Um, and Marty is such a, a tremendous step on that ladder. Um, but there is a lot to do yet, but my word, it does feel good to finally, before I'm gone, uh, see to it that people are concerned about the care and, and the, the safety of horses and the fact that violence is never the answer. You know, I often say that a good trainer can make a horse do almost anything he wants him to. But the great trainer can cause the horse to want to do it. And that's when you get the high marks, when the horse is out there clearly wanting to do what they do. And um, I went through the Tennessee walking horse thing way back in 1949. I think I was 14 years old. Uh, when they decided I should win a national championship with a Tennessee walking horse. And when I discovered what they were doing to these horses, 
I just wouldn't do it. And I walked away from it and I stayed away from it until I met Marty and Mr. Johnson, his his boss at the time, uh, in Tennessee. And uh, it's just been a fantastic trip since that point in time. I read a quote of yours online, and I want to share it with our listeners and, and have you expound on it or have Wayne and Marty react to it. And the quote is this, for centuries, humans have said to horses, you do what I tell you or I'll hurt you. Humans still say that to each other, still threaten, force, and intimidate. You said, I'm convinced that my discoveries with horses have value in the workplace, in educational and penal systems, and in the raising of children. At heart, I'm saying that no one of us was born with the right to say you must or I'll hurt you to any animal or to another human. That That's very, very profound. And, and how have you learned to extrapolate from your knowledge of horses to the workplace and, and, and human beings? Well, with the encouragement of the queen, I travel globally to deal with post-traumatic stress. And uh, that includes uh, youth at risk and domestic violence as well. And we have uh, clinics here that have recently stood a four-year scientific trial whereby it has been determined that we are way out front in causing a better life for those people who are suffering from post-traumatic stress. Uh, Normally, they don't go to war in an abnormal condition. They go to war relatively normal, and they come back with something abnormal. And that is not something that will heal um, when you say post-traumatic stress disorder, because a disorder is not known to heal. It is an injury and it can heal. And we can heal those people that are being unkind to animals as well. We just have to show them that it isn't right. And uh, the horses, you know, the Tennessee walking horse was created because of what they did that was so beautiful. And then people step in and say, how can we make it more beautiful artificially with some pain? That's just not right. And uh, finally, our lawmakers are saying, no, no, we got to stop this. And uh, horse racing Tennessee walking horses, jumping horses, the Mustangs, everybody needs to be in the same loop. Yeah, Joe, it's, it's Wayne Puselli here. I, God, it's, it's such a treat to have Monty on the show. I mean, what he is talking about is a complete paradigm shift in the way that we view horses and interact with them. And in some ways, you know, the contemporary animal welfare movement did not have a national organization really driving reforms for horses. And I think Monty was the biggest voice, uh, you know, coming from the training world saying, hey, we've got to do better. And now we finally, I think with Animal Wellness Action and a couple of other groups, we've got some advocacy growing to really act on some of the principles that Monty has taught millions about. So I think it's an inflection point, but, you know, these old attitudes die hard, and that is why Monty's, uh, you know, really important message needs to continue to be heard all throughout the world. And so, uh, Monty, that's a that's a good segue into one thing I'm very curious about, and that is in reference to Equus. If I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, if not, please do uh, correct me. Uh, but give me an example, if you would, please, where uh, without 
your knowledge and your ability to work with horses, someone might use a, a punitive or a harsh method to get a horse to comply, and, and how would you do it differently? Sure. Um, for instance, the Western horse that's asked to run at top speed and then slide to a stop, that used to be done by putting heavy chains under their chin, bits on them that bit into their mouth, and uh, you force the horse to stop. I brought into this world a system whereby you can cause the horse to want to stop um, by using nonviolent methods, and that is to go toward a fence and say the word whoa, and then the horse stops. Today, if you put a chain under a horse's chin, you're thrown out of the competition. So it is changing, and the horses are stopping better than they ever did. We better than I caused them to do because talented people come on and they improve things, but get the violence out of it. Um, and the same thing is true with the Tennessee walking horse who lifted its feet so high. It was so beautiful. And then how do we make it more? Well, we hurt them, so they lift them even higher. And that doesn't work. And the capturing of, of Mustangs and 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 how they're handled in the capture is is tremendously uh, painful in many conditions, and it's improving. So we're we're making a difference. And you know, I thought I was making some difference for the longest time. But in 1989, I met Queen Elizabeth II, and it is her influence that has taken me to 41 countries. And it is her influence that has caused the world to really take notice. So let's use it. And, um, you know, I would say this to her immediately. We're using you, Your Majesty. Your influence is helpful, really helpful. And I would never be as known or as, you know, complimented by the industry if it wasn't for Queen Elizabeth II. Marty, I know you're a humble guy, but tell us a little bit about your experience recently with Queen Elizabeth II. Well, number one, Joe, uh, thanks for bringing that up. But I, I would say first, it's all because of Monty Roberts and the past 15 years that we've been working to end abuses of horses and primarily the Tennessee walking horse world, but other breeds too as well, like uh, thoroughbred racing. And uh, Monty contacted me back about a month or so after COVID hit, and I, I'll let him elaborate on that. But we had a, a really great discussion about how to try to move things forward with um, some of these principles and with legislation federally to help the horses in the long run and, and keep that momentum going for generations to come uh, with his wonderful daughter, Debbie Lauk. She's just a tremendous asset and, and great friend as well. And uh, he had me write up about a 10-page uh, paper or so just about our experiences together and meeting and our work together. And uh, little did I know he was going to send that to Her Majesty to take a look at and read, and, and she did. And um, as a result of that and, and Monty's recommendation, of course, uh, she uh, presented me in August with a certificate of recognition for our work to end horse abuse and implement Monty's 
nonviolent principles and training methods uh, into the horse world. So, Monty, I'd, I'd love to, to get you to elaborate and tell a little more about that. Well, yeah, that's an important thing because just as training dogs or any animal, congratulations and letting them know when it's good, that's, that's the condition that will move things forward. It isn't hammering on people about the things they do that's wrong. It's the congratulations of things they do right that really causes the improvement in, in the performance. And so about uh, in 2012, we gave out eight certificates to people that were making a difference in the, in the world of training horses. And those people have absolutely changed the world. Polo, for instance, has gone nonviolent like nothing you've ever seen before. The breaking of polo ponies was horrible, and it's no longer that way because we had those people on the list, and it worked. Eight people got them in 2012. This time, we're doing 17 of these certificates of people that are really making a difference. And once you have that letter on the wall, man, there's so much encouragement to you to go on and get things done. And uh, Adolfo Cambiasso is the leading polo player of the world now. And he shows that letter to everybody that comes to his place. And and he talks about it. And, and they stopped breaking horses with the old hard methods of Spain. And they now do it my way, which is without violence. And in fact, they're even improving it. So I think that's wonderful. And if I can get the ball rolling, um, let's let it roll. And racing needs help. Tennessee walking horses need help, but we're going to get it done. And Marty Irby is, is, is that stepping stone uh, in this particular area. So his name went on that list. And I know Her Majesty is quite happy to have him there. Sure. So we, we, before we started recording, we said that in The Crown, that Sean Connery would play you, and I'm going to nominate Jason Statham, who is the only other good-looking bald man I know of in Hollywood, to play Marty. So so there you go. I think I think that'll be a good dynamic duo. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I can't thank Monty enough for, for all that he's done for me, and it's been such a gift in my life for the past 15 years you know, and, and had such a tremendous influence. You know, when I first met him, I had no idea of the principles and the things that he taught and was just fascinated and enthralled with learning these new things because I had my own family of uh, violent horse trainers and people who were involved that were practicing methods that uh, are definitely not acceptable today, but are even worse than some of the things we see today. But I, I wanted to mention in this segment about horse racing, something Monty and I've had a, a little talk about a few times and that's um, the whip and yeah. uh, the elimination of the use of the whip. You know, the New Jersey racing commission just came out with a new regulation that uh, basically limits the use of the whip uh, where they can't strike the horse. And, and Monty's had so much great insight on really what occurs to a horse when you whip a horse. And I'd personally love to see, and we'll continue to work to see the end whipping on a global scale in, in horse racing. Yeah, it's such a fallacy, really, because um, a racehorse, a thoroughbred racehorse running at 
top speed, when you whip them and they're tired, they will run faster about three or four times. And on about the fourth or fifth time that you whip a horse that's giving you his best effort, they will literally run slower. And now we have these jugs guns like the cop points at you on the freeway, and we know that they run slower when they're whipped. So we had a fantastic experience in Norway where the man in charge there had a meeting and they voted and they said, you know, we're, we're going to quit telling these jockeys they can't use the whip. Go ahead and use the whip any, any way you want, except that if you take any hand off the reins, you're eliminated in the race. So you have to ride the horse with both hands on the reins throughout the race. And if you want to use a whip, you can flick it on their shoulder or something, but you can't trash their rear end with a whip making welts on their body. It's stupid. And, uh, and then accidents occur when the whips come out and the horse ducks left and right and other horses trip and fall over them. So we can double the safety in racing if we eliminate the whips. And about four races into the new rule, the whips were left in the jockey's room because they were just uh, something that they didn't need to carry. They couldn't use them anyway. And I, I think that that's a compromise that is very valuable to the racing industry. Um, both hands on the reins. Uh, that should be a rule global. It's great to hear, you know, Monty just contextualizing all of these different ways of our human interactions with horses and competition and in training. And, you know, Marty uh, has been talking to me about the whip and that this would be a great follow-up for us as an organization, as Animal Wellness Action, to once doping is dealt with and once we see that the federal anti-doping law is enacted and then properly enforced, to think about the use of the whip and having Monty affirm that it's detrimental is I think the key to this. The reason that we're going to win, as Monty says, on horse racing and, and anti-doping policy, and the reason we're going to win on soaring and stopping this malicious mistreatment of horses to cause them to exaggerate their gait is because it's against the best principles of care of the animals. We're at the center of these competitions and sport. It is going to turn off uh, a, a viewing public and a spectator community that doesn't want to see the abuse of horses. So it's in their business interests, as I've written in the humane economy, for us to treat animals well. If you want to succeed in the horse business, uh, whether it's racing or showing or other segments, you must treat the animals who are at the center of the enterprise well. And when Monty points out that many of these human violent actions are actually counterproductive to performance, it clinches the case in so many ways. And I think, too, that's an attractive uh, approach to take because the whipping is so visible. You talk about doping. It's really kind of hard to understand, you know, the medical uh, components of that. If we talk about soaring, I don't know that that's broadly grasped. But, but every child who watches a horse race that I've heard or seen watch one will will comment on why are they whipping the horses or why are they hurting the horses i think that's a, a dramatic positive approach to take yes and you know 
the jockeys are the ones that will give you the, the, the most trouble in this business of we, we learn to whip and we want to use our whips, et cetera. And yet, if you look at the statistics, it will show you that a huge percentage of the accidents in racing occur when the whips come out. So the jockeys are the ones that are injured and hospitalized with these injuries, not just the horses. And um, we need to point these things out. We need to do these statistics and show them. Here's the video. Here's where the whips came out. And here's where the horses crossed their paths and tripped and fell. And there's a jockey with a broken neck. Um, We need to show those. Um, the whips are a detriment to racing. And we say, oh, I love my thoroughbred horses and they love to race. You know, they love to race one another. It's true. They do. So let them race. Don't make them race. Well, it's, it's always so interesting. It's Wayne again here that so many within these industries embrace the longstanding assumptions and ideologies of the industry, even when it's counterproductive. I mean, what what a lesson that Monty is giving us that this works against not just the performance of the horse, but the well-being of the human athletes in the enterprise. I mean, to show that jockeys are going to fall, you know, with a horse uh, running 40 miles an hour or plus beneath him or her, this is an incredible thing. And uh, this is why I've always felt that good treatment of animals, you know, relies on on rationality and logic and science and an understanding of animal behavior. I mean, what is going on is irrational to dope yeah. horses to enhance performance and to and to hurt the front legs of horses to enhance their their performance in that strange way. That is a yeah. strange barbaric circumstance, and it must stop. It really must. Yeah, I'll give you another one that I think is so important. I've been to so many meetings where people uh, involved from the racetracks will say, you know, we have to keep whipping because we have to show the betters that the jockey is trying to win. And if they don't whip the horse, the betters think that the horse, uh, that the jockey is not trying to win. And I bet on that horse and I want him whipped. Well, if we don't have whips, they don't have that argument, do they? And it's silly to say that the horse runs faster when, in fact, we can now prove that they don't run faster when they're whipped. And in fact, if a jockey wanted to stop a horse, then he would whip him if he had bet on another horse. But it's ridiculous. The playing field is level if there's no whips in the race. Uh, this is Marty again. I just wanted to add something and that's perfectly said, but the way our society has shifted and the generation of millennials we see a couple of years ago, I was at the jockey club's safety summit that was down in Lexington, Kentucky. And they had two uh, racing executives who had been in the business their entire life and uh, their family before them were as well. And they said that their two children, one was a boy, one was a girl uh, in the millennial age bracket refused to even come in the room and watch the television if they were watching a horse race, not because of doping or drugging, but because of the use of the whip and said, where else in the world would it be acceptable to watch a person basically beat an animal around the circle on television? And that said a lot to me too. 
Yeah, there's no question about that. We are moving to a nonviolent. It's it's a terrible thing that we're still violent with one another more than we are with our animals, but we're moving away from our animals. Maybe our animals will teach us something about treating one another fairly too. Well, well, it's a it's a great point. This is Wayne again. Even do we when we want to teach children to perform on the athletic field or <laughs> to behave in the house? Do we whip them? I mean, do we hit them, strike them? I mean, corporal punishment used to be a very customary thing, but then we learned it has you know counter effects when it comes to inducing the behavior we want. So Monty and and Joe, you started this call. I mean, this 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 podcast by really referencing Monty's observations about violence in general and the application of these ideas in the human circumstance. And I think, you know, maybe we just need to take a look when it comes to whipping of horses to the evolution of thought in terms of the treatment of our family members. Many people know that uh, my life was changed very early. I had 72 prepubescent fractures, all from a father. And um, I had a teacher that helped me learn that violence is not the answer and um, to not hate him for that, but to change it. And uh, my life has gone that way. Wow, that's a that's very moving. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, Wayne, do you have a cat or is your Roomba in the background? I, I have a dog who obviously <laughs> um, had, had a, a, a bad experience before we adopted her. And she will not eat out of a dish. And the cat food is in a dish that has a side about one inch high, and she goes right up to the to the dish, and she dances around, she barks at it, but she won't eat it because she will not eat out of a dish. So we have to feed her on a paper towel. Okay, yeah, because I see you, you know, of course, people are listening to this on a podcast, but I can see you video, and I can see you looking down at the floor at the same time the noise is. So I figured, you know, it, it's your Roomba or your or one of your pets. It's a it's a behaviorally confused dog. Is right. is what is distracting me. All right. So so when you when you're hearing that on on the podcast, folks, just know that that's Wayne showing love to a behaviorally challenged dogs uh, to a dog. Go. Right. <laughs> it, it would strike. Yeah, well, you should put her on camera so at least you know we would have we would have that. Um, it, so many kids are told, you know, just going back one last time to to the whip topic, you know, that that doesn't really hurt the horse, uh, that that's just right. to get their attention. But you said it actually leaves welts. So clearly, this is a pain-inducing practice. There's no question about that. Um, take one of those whips and hit yourself with it and see if it hurts. Uh, they they come out of the races. In the old whip, they've changed it somewhat, but they've come out of the races with huge welts down their flanks on, on both sides. I've seen it myself. I've been there. Um, I've actually doctored horses that came out of a race with welts all, all down their sides. So it causes pain. And pain will cause you to wince. And if you stop and think about it, if you had an Olympic runner, and you said, I'll just whip him if he doesn't give us 100% in the last 100 yards. Uh, would he run faster if he was struck across the rear end with the whip? Hell no. It would take his attention off of his muscles and, and put him in a position where he could fall or 
be at least slowed down by the fact that he's induced they've induced pain on on this runner and it it just makes no sense at all it's a, it's an archaic act that needs to go away you know it's it's so enlightening to to hear monty give this this real world kind of experience uh, a run here and it reminds me of the debate we had on bullhooks with elephants that in circuses and in some zoos they use these bullhooks which is you know, like a, a baseball bat with a with a sharp metal hook and point on the end of it and they use it to guide the elephants well the people who really care about elephants know that when they whack these elephants even though they're very large powerful animals it hurts. They have the same kind of tissue and nerve endings that we have. And, you know, we're yeah. getting away from that in the world. I mean, hopefully we're going to stop the use of wild animals and circuses to begin with. And we're getting away from it at accredited zoos because the Association of Zoos and Aquariums has a policy of not using these bull hooks any longer as well. So this is part of our evolution. And uh, I really credit Marty with keeping our focus on continuing reforms in horse racing once we get rid of doping, but we're not there yet on doping. We're getting darn close uh, with this new compromise in Congress, but we've got to get it over the finish line. If I could say one more thing, I, I think it's important that I've learned over the course of this 85 years of mine that banning things is not the answer. Banning certain things that are just outright horrible is the answer to that. But just banning doesn't get it done. Change it. Don't ban it. Don't throw Tennessee walking horses out the window. Uh, they'll all die. Don't throw racing away. Those thoroughbreds will die. Uh, make it better. We can learn to live as reasonable human beings. Banning things is not the answer. It's changing them for the better that is the answer. And that wraps up part one of our interview with Monty Roberts, world-renowned horse trainer and best-selling author. We'll be back next time with part two of our conversation and be joined by a special guest as we continue to learn about progress made in the treatment of our equine companions. You've been listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org for all of our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and we invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.